Welcome to the IC Disc Show. Interviews with business owners, industry leaders, and tax experts sharing how the IC Disc can benefit your bottom line profits. Check out the show notes at icdiscshow.com. This show is brought to you by the IC Disc Alliance. Discover how the premier IC Disc consulting firms support you at icdisc.com. And by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now, here's your host, Dave Spray. Hi, my name is David Spray, and welcome to another episode of the IC Disc Show. My guest today is Kirk McLaren, the founder of Foresight CFO. Foresight CFO describes themselves as a growth CFO, and we learn more about what Kirk means by this during the interview. We also learn about the three habits that all of his clients utilize to help grow their companies. And we also learn about Kirk's unique three-person team approach to providing fractional CFO services. And then Kirk also gave me an answer to a standard question I ask of what do you wish you knew when you were 25 years old? And his answer is different than anyone else's I've heard. So Kirk brings a novel approach to outsource CFO, and I really learned a lot about what's possible with a fractional CFO. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Kirk, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, David, I'm so glad that you invited me here to talk to your guests and kind of explore backgrounds, that kind of stuff. Well, awesome. Well, well, thank you for, uh, for being on. So first off, I'd like to thank you for your service to our country. So yeah. thank you for that. Yeah, that was a long time ago, back in 1991. And I was a long way from the bullets, but I literally left school, joined the Army, became a behavioral scientist. And that's how I ended up going from Houston, Texas, you know, growing up as a young man there and then dropped out of school. And that's how I ended up going from Houston to Washington, D.C. and stayed here ever since. That's, that's awesome. So let's, uh, let's get right into it. Uh, talk to me about your company. Yeah. Foresight CFO. Yeah. So, so the company started, I mean, r- roughly out of 30 years building mostly private business. I did some nonprofits and some quasi government stuff with the telecom industry. And then, you know, 30 years into it, I started to notice that business owners oftentimes, you know, I'm the finance guy, I can see a clear opportunity, but the business owners would hesitate. They'd hesitate on making decisions. And sometimes, you know, the follow through wasn't strong. And so I, I came to learn that. A lot of business owners, they, you know, their business becomes the monster of their own making, right? They got all these hats on, they go on vacation, they're actually working remotely versus enjoying other things in their life, like their family. And meanwhile, most CFOs, including me, you know, we occupied ourselves with financial management, the accounting operations, maybe treasury, if it's a bigger business, there could be like import, export taxes, kind of the things where your expertise come, to, come into play. We focus on those kind of things instead of alleviating the CEO's pain. So, so okay. somewhere around 2015, I mean, I kept getting hit in the head with things in life where, hey, maybe there's a better way, right? And yeah, then, yeah, maybe, right? You know, the things keep coming in, and maybe I should pay attention to something here. And so, so in 2015, it started to reimagine that the CFO's role as a true navigator with the CEO. And by this, I mean. You know, learning, you know, as a CFO, a navigator side by side with the CEO, 
learning how to help the CEO escape the owner's trap. Like, you know, they were born, there's something that the CEO is really good at, but they're oftentimes not doing, they're not focused on that area. So how do we help them focus on that area? And how to, as a CFO, how do I collaborate with subject matter experts across the company, like, like the CMOs and the salespeople and delivery people to help them obliterate the obstacles of growth, right? So, so it's, it's a broader partner than just the financial operation. And, and then, you know, at the same time, while doing that, establishing those financial habits or profitability that allow us to see, okay, where are we coming from? Where are we going to? That was really the birth of the of a foresight CFO. It just kept seeing that business owners of private companies, they get hung up. They're trapped you know, by their business. And so maybe there's a better way. And that's where it all started. And so the foresight and the name means, I guess, looking forward instead of backwards, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, where do you want to, if you got a business, you got into your business for a reason. What is your destination? Where do you want to end up? And a lot of times for me, I'm a big freedom guy. I mean, I want, you know, I want freedom of time, freedom of money. I want freedom of purpose to do what I really care about versus being tethered to some obligation that that's not worthwhile. So that's the fourth. Don't forget the fourth. Don't forget the fourth freedom, freedom of relationship. Yeah. That, that, that's a big one, right? What is it? So, so Dave, what does that mean to you? Freedom of relationship? Well, it means associating, you know, serving who I want to serve, work with who I want to serve. So the reason I knew the fourth freedom was because I've spent many years in strategic coach, which is probably where you learned the four freedoms as well, I'm guessing, or from Dan Sullivan. Yeah, Dan Sullivan, strategic coach is brilliant. And so, but that's a key point when you can actually choose who you work with, you're both inside and outside, you know, that's liberation. It is. It is. And so I know your tagline is that you're a growth CFO. And so I can appreciate that the looking forward has kind of one component, but then the growth CFO piece, you know, that strikes me as more unique because that almost sounds like a blending of, you know, being the chief revenue officer, if you will. So talk to me about how you are able to leverage that CFO role into, you know, revenue growth. Yeah. And that's one of the five obstacles. It used to be the number one obstacle is how to help clients win new clients. And closely behind that was the number two obstacle, which is keeping and growing existing clients. Now the number one obstacle is people. So we might want to talk about that in a moment. But to answer your question, the, the, the growth CFOs are definitely CFOs, right? We're not trying to become masters, of all, you know, with jack of all trades, masters of none. But it's more if you have, doesn't matter whatever the title it is, the, you know, the chief salespeople, the chief marketing officer, whatever title they have. In our world, the growth CFO works hand in hand. And we have certain strengths that's as numbers people, finance people, you know, are we mining the data? Like oftentimes you have companies that are doing well and they think of all their customers as the same. Like, hey, we need more. We have 14,000 customers. These are real examples, by the way. We have 14,000 customers. We need more of those. Really? You need more of those? Because if you run the data, if you mine that data using the skills that you know the CPAs and the finance people bring to the table, you actually find out you know the 80-20 rule plays out, where roughly sure. 20% of your clients are producing 80% of the, you know, the financial outcomes. And those people love you. They love it. You love working with them. You can do your best work with them. It's good synergies. You bring value. They want you to be paid well. It's great, right? All the way around. And likewise, vice versa, the bottom 20%, you're losing money. They don't like mm -hmm. you, right? You, you don't get along. People don't want to go to work on that site. So when you mind the data kind of kind of coming in, you know, how a growth CFO would work with the CMO or the sales team. Hey, let's look at 
who, who can actually do our best work with using that data. Let's figure out who are these people? What is the voice of the client? Why do those people sign up with us? Why do they keep going with us? And then align everything to that, like bundling services. Maybe there's cross-sell mm-hmm. up, so maybe there's, you can do even better work with them. Pricing strategy. You know, a lot of times, you know, you know, you know, CEOs are private businesses. They're very risk adverse when it comes to pricing. But can we value price? If you're making this kind of outcome mm-hmm. for those best clients, can you share that that doing well by doing good? And then aligning everything, aligning the you know, lead generation marketing, aligning the sales process to that best top 20%. And then maybe once you get confident there, you know, this is not overnight, do things step by step, crawl, walk, run, so that you're not betting the farm on any one decision, but you're making decisions with clarity, you're making mm-hmm. follow-ups with the clarity of the habits, right? The financial habits. And then maybe the, the bottom 20% that's chew, eating up everything you got, maybe refer them to your competition, right? Maybe sure. you work with who you want to work with at freedom of relationship. So that's kind of a picture. Now, the actual example would be a client that had had software as a service, kind of online platform, 14,000 customers, exact scenario. You came, I want more customers. Do you really? Because we do the data and you, mm-hmm. these people buy from you and keep coming back. Uh, these other people, man, your calls, uh, customer service call center is loaded up with people who you will, customers, clients that you will never make happy. Yeah. Uh, how about, right? So, yeah, in fact, I believe the official name of that 80-20 rule is called the Pareto Principle, named after an Italian economist from a long time ago. But, you know, the most interesting part of the Pareto Principle is when you take it to a second level. So if you look at, you know, 20% of your customers are accounting for 80% of your revenue. Well, if you take the 20% of your 20%, in the 80% of the 80%, you'll find that 4% of your customers are, account, are accounting for 64% of the revenue. Is that right? Which is even more powerful. It's interesting. The book, there's a guy that wrote a book called The 80-20 Principle, and I cannot remember his name. I can picture the book. And he had an exercise where you would take your clients and rank them in descending order by like revenue or profit. And then you'd have a cumulative column right? So your first customer accounts, you're for 5%, your next one accounts for 4%. So that's 9%. And he had this exercise, you'd go through there and you would just see how many customers down you'd have to go to. You got to like, you know, a significant amount of your revenue. And it was really interesting looking at centers of influence. And like, I discovered when I did that, like 80% of my referrals came from five centers of influence. (laughs) Is that right? And I realized I didn't even need to go into any more networking events. All I had to do is spend more time with those five people. And yeah. you know, these were the five people who I met with once a year. So you're like, wonder what happens if I met with them quarterly, just those yeah. five people. So anyway, so I, I'm always met, fascinated by that, the 80-20. And the other funny thing about that, I'm sure you know this, it doesn't have to be 80-20. It doesn't have to add up to 100 it can be an 80-10 or a 70-20. Or it's really just pointing out that there's these disproportionate outcome from you know limited inputs. But anyway, so yeah, I always love talking to somebody about Pareto principle. But let's go deeper there. But look what it just did for you. Wow. Five relationships produce most of my outcomes. So uh-huh. now if I wanted to, I could, I could definitely put more attention to those folks, right? Because that's your bread and butter. It makes total sense. Probably more will come from that if you more attention, more outcomes, that kind of stuff. So in addition, you, you essentially could work half as much 
don't do the things that are complete waste. Focus on those five and pr actually produce more. So, so now you got freedom of time. You got that freedom relationship. You work with people. You really get to know each other. And that's the irony. Those five people were also some of my favorite five centers of influence too. Yeah. Yeah. And beyond trust, you really get to know each other, right? And your interest for each other becomes more, you know, very sincere, right? Helping each other do well kind of stuff. So, but that's brilliant. Liberation. Yes. Yeah. No, those Dan Sullivan's four freedoms are really powerful because that's what, that's why we become entrepreneurs is for freedom anyway. Yeah. It's funny because Matt contacted me from Strategic Coach, and I'm pretty sure I'm coming in. Be that Dan, so I've been reading his book, like who, not how, that kind of stuff. And so it's funny that he's been a big influence, that community big influence for you. Yeah, I was. I've been. I'm currently on sabbatical from Strategic Coach, and but I've been. I did a sabbatical before, but I guess I've got about ten years total. And just a wonderful in fact, anytime I talk to somebody about strategic coach, I start thinking that my sabbatical should perhaps be over. Yeah, back back years ago in previous life, I worked for Richard Rossi, who's been in strategic coach. I remember when I was his finance guy questioning him, you know, on the investment, time and money kind of stuff. And it's not a big investment in money, but but yeah, you know, I'm a finance guy, so I'm questioning things. And man, I've learned a lot since then. Yeah. About how important the peer group and coaching is. I mean, night and day. Versus working in isolation for, for CEOs. For sure. Yeah, I would strongly recommend a strategic coach because it gives you a chance to think about your thinking. That's one of Dan's, uh, Dan's lines. So let's switch gears. So you and I have something in common. We've both authored a book. Yours was a bestseller. Mine was not. So, so talk to me about the book. What's the name of it? When was it published? What prompted you to publish it? So, so the book title is called The Growth CFO Void. So that missing team member, right? That okay. basically the, the missing navigator to the CEO who's a pilot of the plane. And, and the, the, there were a number of things that kind of prompted. Like one, I teach at Georgetown School of Continuous Studies. It's kind of a fun thing. I'm, I'm big on developing people to a lot of times go beyond their self-imposed limits. So I love teaching. And the, geez, man, the, the, you know, the textbooks and resources for what business owners and business people really need. Like what are practical financial habits? There's really the three practical habits that can change any manager's life, right? Just a, you know, clarity and confidence on where we're at and, you know, engineering that path going forward. And the, the, the material on that was, and it, my book's not a textbook, and there's more stories, that kind of stuff. That's, I think that's how people learn. And the material on that is like, man, it's just overly loaded with jargon. Not everybody is designed to be a CPA. Most, most people are not designed to be a CPA. Most people, if you pull up a spreadsheet, you literally put them into the checkout zone. And right. so, so that kind of prompted them. I need something better. And then also telling our story, since we reimagine what a CFO is, there's plenty of CEO business owners who they know what a traditional CFO is. So this mm -hmm. whole new role, you know, not redefining the existing role, I should say better, it's just a new concept. So I needed a way of telling stories and case studies where they can start to see themselves. Oh, that's what a better way might do. And, and that, okay. so that, that prompted it. And so, so that, you know, teamed up with Forbes and they accepted my idea for the book and we published last September last year. Oh, that's great. So what are the three habits that you mentioned? Yeah. The three, the first one is across the company, managers use the monthly financials like a scoreboard. Okay. A lot of times that's very awkward for them initially because it looks like hieroglyphics. The second one is getting your hands around cash. So positive cash flow, both like like 
12-week cash forecast, but also how about measuring the cash conversion cycle and see, and then comparing that to benchmarks because maybe there's something there. And then the third one is we, we call it engineering profitability with a rolling 12-month budget. Okay. And we call it actually a flight plan, 12-month flight plan. And then and also the multi-year flight plan. Like how do we get, if you want to end up at a certain place, your destination, just have some visibility on how, to, how we're going to do that year to year. But the detail work is that third habit, the, you know, the 12-month rolling budget. Okay. That's, you know, I learned something interesting about Tesla. You know, supposedly they don't use any budgets. Really? Yeah. What do they do? They, they, they're all apparently, as I understand it, they're all about innovation. Speed of innovation drives everything there. And I've heard they do like dozens of rolling improvements to their cars every week. Most car makers have annual changes, you know, they save it up. But yeah, but supposedly they have no budgeting. And every employee has like the authority to spend money to buy stuff that they think will in, will improve the speed of improvement, the speed of innovation. Anyway, they just happened to think of that. Isn't that bizarre? One of the largest market cap companies in the world has no budgeting process. Isn't that interesting? It, it, it really is interesting. And I wonder how that plays out. So they're putting an emphasis on that speed to creativity and local ownership of outcomes, right? In some that's, kind of way. And, and that's so, what, I, yeah. what I understand. So, so I wonder if they have forecasts for the business overall. I wonder if that's something that I'm going to make a note of to dive into, but I'm always interested if there's a better way. I'm yeah, I wonder. So the guy to, to look up is a guy named Joe Justice, who's uh-huh. a lean manufacturing guru. And he worked at Tesla for like four years. And he's who a lot of that data comes from as far as no no budgeting. Yeah, it just sounds like a... In fact, I was so intrigued by when they opened their factory in Austin. I live in Houston. I was... If they would have let me, I would have gone to work there for six months just like for the hell of it. It just seemed like such an amazing place to work. But but they probably wanted me there more than six months and you know, I wasn't going to... Because I've got a buddy in Austin. You know, Their kids are all grown. I probably could stay in a spare bedroom. And But anyway, you're the first person I've shared my pipe dream of going to work in the Tesla factory in, in Austin. That'd be, it'd be interesting six months, right? Because I'm sure there'd be learning, not just beyond no budgets. I'm sure there'd be learning and mind expanding somewhere. Yeah. So, so let's get into the stories. This is my favorite part of the interview. You mentioned you had stories in the book. So, and I agree, stories, I think, are the best way to learn, illustrate a point. So what are some success stories that come to mind, either from the book, not from the book? If you're allowed to share who the name of the person or company is, feel free to. If you if that's not appropriate, then just need to be anonymous. But let's talk about some stories. What's one that comes to mind? What, one of my favorite ones, and I'm going to keep the names anonymous because it, if, we sure. say if I say something financial after I say the name, I want, I want to respect confidentiality. And, and first, I, yeah, as I think back the last eight years with Foresight, you know, the CEOs, I mean, these are remarkable people, right? They, they have an idea. Sometimes they have circumstances that force them into entrepreneurship. Sometimes they're inspired mm-hmm. by an idea. Sometimes they're just not corporate people and they want to right. do their thing. And, and the, the, the conversation phenomena, I've been humbled because they, I knew they were smart. I mean, I've been around for a few days. It, 
But you know, behind closed doors, they really care about their teams. And you know, capitalism gets a bad rap, but you talk to business owners, they do want to do well. They do want their team members to do well. Sometimes they're you know, they're up to their neck and you know can't even make payroll, right? They're doing, putting payroll on its credit card, their yeah. credit card, right? And they're yeah. managing their yeah. house. They're, that's what they're doing. And they really do. They, there's a just a decency that goes beyond what I what I don't know people I get credit for mainstream. So there's a CEO of a, a technology company when Amazon Web Service was coming out and moving companies from their internal structure, like you know the financial yeah. industry, there's insurance industry, and everybody else going to the cloud for all the benefits. And a cool little company. I mean, it started out you know a bunch of software engineers and they're really good at what they do. And, and you know, we started out on the small side for us on the end point of two and a half million and quickly grew to five, seven and a half, ten million. And in way and you can imagine these engineers. I mean, there there were times like like early on, the engineers are getting ready for the big, you know, industry event. And the you know, engineers want to do a good job. So they take everybody off billable projects and put them into prepared. I say everybody, they took like 20% of their top people off billable projects, put them into <laughs> To doing this event, which okay, that makes sense. Until you find out what happened to the cash, right? You just man, right? Yeah. And yeah, so 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 that's where we came in. Like, oh, you, you know, they're not making decisions, knowing that you gotta, yeah, you want to fly the plane, and at the same time, make sure there's enough fuel in the tank, and you got to mm-hmm. see options, you know, going forward. You know, what if we do A versus B, and be able to see, you know, profit, cash, the value of the business, kind of stuff. So coming in. On that happy to cash situation, where the owner is literally putting money back into the business to to make payroll because Bill Wowers went down with no visibility into it. So how do you put those instruments into place where you know teach engineers how to take ownership of their numbers? You know where they're at, like monthly financials going forward, how, teaching them understand yeah. right if they go below a certain place and it and how to get them to a point where the daily dashboard. Where they get where every employee across the company can come in, log in in red, green, yellow, based on what they control, they know where to lean in that day. And if something's not working, they can speak up. So that's a better way of flying a plane versus, oh, no cash. Right. Sure. So what was you know kind of the outcome of that then? Did their, you know, amount of cash increase? Did their you know, days, you know, receivables outstanding improve. Do you recall some of the objective outcomes? Yeah, we literally taught, put in those controls, right? The daily dashboard, using the monthly financials, they took ownership of their 12-month rolling budgets. So they had, they create, they control, you know, the historical plus the forward. And, you know, but by, by month three, they're getting comfortable with the financial. At first, nobody wants to look at the financials. You're keeping me from doing my job, right? That kind of mm-hmm. stuff, you know, we put financial scoreboard. But it's financials, and and then by month six, like man, I can't make a decision. Hey, I'm not making a decision on that, on that event until I see my financials, where I stand in regards to budget. What do I have? And so, so by month six, they're really you know, engineers tend to be better than most with numbers. And they, but for most sure. people, about three, they're kind of getting used to the habit. Month six is like, hey, I need to see my numbers before I can decide about that event and who okay. I can dedicate to it. And so, so the outcome overall is the company grew, right? More visibility, profit was strong. And this, a lot of tech companies are kind of a built to sell mindset. They don't yeah. plan to become, most of them want to be the best versus the biggest, you know, these kind of entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And they, they want to at some point pass the torch. So that's on the flight plan. In, in this case, since that's that, that space, Amazon Web Service became a hot property. And it, it roughly two and a half years ahead of expectations 
the business owner was getting multiple offers, competitive offers to to sell at a price point above his target. And that the valuation is that second payday. So now you got financial freedom, you know, beyond that day-to-day work. So that was the outcome. We become okay. we become friends. And last Saturday we were bike riding in Washington, DC on the nice. there. Yeah. You do something like that. You know, that's that brotherhood, right? Where you got the CEO who's a pilot. And then the growth chef was a navigator and man, you create some good friends. <laughs> yeah. Now that's some of my favorite people are my clients. So speaking of that, so describe to us what the elements are of a perfect fit or a strategic coach calls it a right fit client yeah. for you. The, the, the two, two things, one mindset, right? Okay. If a person ha- has a learning mindset, like some of the things you and I are talking about here, that's going to be fun. That's going to be a good outcome because there is a better way. And that will always be true. And you have smart team members with different expertise. And so learning mindset to be able to you know, see something, make a decision, follow through and make adjustments. Sometimes on, on version one of the rollout, eh, you know, okay, let's evolve to version two, but not you know changing some of the tactics, but not losing sight of the vision, the mission and the purpose of the organization. So somebody with a learning mindset is critical, both inside foresight and external. Like imagine, you know, CFOs coming in who want to be a growth CFO. They have a fixed mindset, want to do status quo. There is yeah. nothing I can do to help them ever. Sure. Sure. And roughly one out of 17 financial talent can actually do this work. So, so it's similar, internal and external. And we work in three-person teams, right? So three minds are better than one. And that's okay. how we get beyond status quo and comfort zones and stuff. So it's a very, it's a very confident way of working. And then the other thing is some level of revenue, like the, you know, for the full three-person team doing work weekly at, at 5 million, it starts to make sense, right? right. Um, we have clients going up, to, you know, from 1 million to, to uh, 119 million in revenue. And we do certain things for each of them at below 5 million, more of a, we kind of have a hybrid hands-on and advisory. It's once a month where we look at the financial scoreboard and work on the business together. But a smaller okay. business capacity is so limited. Yeah. There, for all the right reasons, there is owner trap issues because at a smaller business, each team member has got to do more things. And so, but we can help them even at a, a million dollars of revenue, we can help them get, we can have a clear path, you know, by working on the business together and, and establishing a good financial habits early on that's adjusted to the size that they're at. Like, you know, a $1 million company is going to do financial practices very different than a $15 million company or a $25 million company. So, sure. Yeah. So what, what would you say is like your sweet spot, you know, revenue wise, where you just really feel like you really can gel? Uh, so somebody coming in at that five to 20 million level, okay. and if they want to double or triple outcomes, and maybe it's top line, maybe it's bottom line, but they want to double or triple outcomes. That that's a good, that's a good bet. Okay. That is helpful. And talk to me about the three-person team. Are, is everybody on the team the same or do they have different skills that you're trying to bring together to serve your client? Yeah. The, the team consists of, there's a growth CFO, which is the front stage, it, weekly interaction and collaboration and action with the client and their team. Then somewhat behind this thing, there's a growth CFO partner. We call them leads who's making sure that we're not stuck and we're seeing things. So they're working somewhat behind the scenes. They come in maybe quarterly with the client, you know, just to make sure that it's broader. And then the third person is a, a, an analyst or accountant, right? Depending on kind of what okay. the business needs. And they're doing lots of legwork. Like, like, for example, we come in to a client, we do a, 
a financial health check to make sure we don't miss something useful, including looking at you know tax incentives like export and R and D and stuff. And we're not the expert on that by any means, but we'll look level one. You know, what, is there a possibility? That's being done by the analysts and accounting team. Roughly 20 to 40 hours of labor all backstage. We're not trying to put any more burden on the client, you know, the mm-hmm. CEO and their team. So that, that and they have a cadence. We work. We, we have a multi-year view to your destination. And then we plan in detail and follow through in, in 90 day sprints where your project made okay. level where we over or under you know, on a day-to-day basis. And, that, that, and that's kind of the cadence, but it's a very, you can imagine an account, an accountant or analyst is going to see some things differently than a CFO and a CFO partner would say, huh, we're status quo. There's a bigger opportunity. This is the kink in the hose for the CEO. We do the diagnostics in the areas of a new client acquisition, people capacity. I mean, using, We've seen a lot of best practices, so we kind of have things. That, let's look at from recruiting to onboarding to that performance management. What's what could help things be even better for that to create you know a remarkable people environment that they want. Okay. So, so as a team members, sometimes it's the part of guy saying, "Hi, huh, it's not here. It's here." Yeah. And then you said the front stage person, another strategic coach term, front stage, backstage. So. You've you've just absorbed all this. It's second nature to you. So, what's the cadence that I hear you say weekly? Is that the typical meeting cadence, or is right. it more than twice a month? Yeah, it's for for the full service. You know, companies doing five million plus where it's a good fit. It's, every week we're doing a huddle, at least twenty five right. minutes just to calibrate. And then the growth CFO is working with whoever the right person is in that in the client's company. Okay. To get the outcomes they're looking for, and that includes developing the managers to use the numbers, and but that so it's a weekly cadence. For internally, we're dedicated one full day. The, the growth CFO is one full day to each client, totally blocked off, dedicated in the zone. And there's roughly over the course of a year, there's roughly a full second day with the other two members of the team. You know that kind okay. of there's certain periods of the year that have more work, and other periods that have like the diagnostics or there's more work for the backstage team members. Okay. No, that's that's really helpful. And that's it. I've met other fractional CFO type companies, but the three-person team seems seems like a unique concept. Well, I can't believe how quickly the time has gone by. A couple more questions. What do you wish what do you wish you knew when you were 25? I wish I I was the kind of guy very task oriented, tethered to the desk, driving outcomes. I wish that myself now could have said, hey, Kirk, that's great, but you also get out there and meet remarkable people and develop beyond trust, develop a relationship with them, because that's how you're going to all unlock the bigger purpose, the bigger impact. Okay. I really like that. Yeah. I asked that question to most of my guests, and some of the answers have a constant theme, but that's really a unique answer. Get away from the desk and go meet remarkable people. Yeah. I mean, even next week, I'm, I've been working with a person by the name of Janet Hogan, and she's in Australia. So just by the accent alone, she's worth working with. And, and I've come <laughs> to learn that this is recent, right? I come to learn that there's, the way I do vacation, I like freedom. So I go any, I went to Venezuela years ago when I was in my 20s, nothing but a backpack, lived there for a year. I had no agenda, that kind of stuff, met people, things, great things came out of, it, including my wife, 26 years married, two boys, that kind of stuff. Never expected that going in, but I was there. So that's how I do vacation. And I, I work with Janet Hogan. I come to realize, wait a minute, Janet, you mean I can just travel places? Like, like next week, I'm going to Florida all week. I have a few meetings set up. I have no agenda. These are clients, prospects, partners. I just want to mm-hmm. get to know them. And you see me get excited. You mean 
that's work because it feels like vacation. You mean I can actually do that? So literally I got lined up now one week per month. I'm just going to no agenda, line up meetings, meet people, see, kind of see where they're, what, who they are and what's going on. More freedom involved in that, isn't it? More and freedom. I love, the, I love the Australian accent. My iPhone Siri is an Australian woman. <laughs> accent I have. Yeah. So that's how the wisdom goes by. You can see with the Australian accent. Oh, you mean, wait a minute. Yeah. So uh, yeah. In fact, it seems like if all the people from, I guess, the English Commonwealth, the Australians seem to me just to be the most freedom focused. I mean, they just seem all about, you know, walkabout, I think is their term to just kind of go wandering. Yeah. Yeah. They, they do seem to value like there's a level of individualism, but also consideration for others. That's you, unique, unique, uniquely Australian. And I remember we we had a, we had team members there in Australia, and they would, yeah, I think they're agreeing, but they're not agreeing. They're just being friendly. <laughs> it took me a while how, to say, wait a minute. <laughs> how about that? Yeah. So, Kirk, what else? What did I not ask you that you wish I would have as we wrapping up? Yeah, good question. So I'm really excited. Like the, for me, the bigger here's one, the bigger purpose, right? Okay, yeah, okay. I, I have a business. What's coming out of from the from launching the book, I'm becoming the freedom guy. So, you know, beyond reimagining the CFOs, actually going out and coaching people how to how can they gain freedom, but more from a speaking. So so speaking's becoming big, right? I'm going out, talk to groups of all sizes. The bigger purpose is like like CPAs, you know, accountants have the CPA certified public accountant exam. So I would love to see our growth CFO certification, which every employee who comes into the business goes through that and they recertify every year. I would love to see that catch on and the, you know, the bigger impact for financial people to go beyond task, how to become that beyond trust, that, that true navigator with mm. the CEO. Because with the rise of the machine, with the machines doing more of the labor, more of the analytics, more of the tasks, like I, I think machines will do easily 80, 90% of what normal accountants, sure. normal CPAs do. So the best financial people, the ones who succeed and have a great life, are the ones who can take that last the last mile of work and able to help other people across the organization and external use that information. Wow, you mean these are the customers? And then you brought up mm-hmm. more focus than that. That is the financial professional who's going to have an awesome life. The ones that are holding on to the task, trying to compete with AI, good luck. Yeah, great. I agree. Well, that is awesome. So we talked about the bigger purpose. We talked about the history, talked about the three-person team, talked about what a growth CFO is, talked about the book. I think we've really packed a lot of information into a little over a half an hour. Well, I really appreciate your time, Kirk. This has really been fun and I've enjoyed getting to know you a bit more, discover the Pareto principle commonality, the strategic coach commonality. This has been fun. I think we should continue this conversation offline in the future. What do you say? I would love to do that. And I'm going to be in Houston soon. My, my son moved down there. He's an Army officer teaching at the University of All Things. So actually, that's not Army duty either. But so I'll be in your neighborhood often. That sounds great. Well, we definitely need to get together. Well, hey, Kirk, again, I really appreciate the time. And, and best of luck as you're helping these companies reimagine their future. Yeah. And David, thank you for inviting me to tell my story because I don't get many opportunities to do this. So I thank you really so much. Oh, hey, my pleasure. Have a great day, Kirk. Thank you. See you. There we have it. Another great episode. Thanks for listening in. If you want to continue the conversation, 
go to icdiscshow.com. That's ic-discshow.com. And we have additional information on the podcast, archived episodes, as well as a button to be a guest. So if you'd like to be a guest, go select that and fill out the information. And we'd love to have you on the show. So that's it. We'll be back next time with another episode of the IC Disc Show.